I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Geneva in Switzerland is Ms. Dorothy Tembo who is the Deputy Executive Director of the International Trade Center, which is the joint agency of the World Trade Organization and the United Nations, whose goals include strengthening the integration of the business sector of developing countries and economies in transition into the global economy. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. To begin with, You have a Zambian heritage, and having grown up in Kitwe, I always experience a degree of nostalgia when I engage with someone from Zambia. Your career has been focused within the trade sector and taken you from the southern to the northern hemisphere, and from dealing on a national level to a global one. Please, will you walk us through some of the key milestones in your journey? There are quite a few elements that I thought were critical in terms of setting the stage in you understanding where I am. I I grew up as a happy child in Lusaka, which is very close to Kitwe, and therefore you know very much the landscape there. So I'm very much a Lusaka person with parents who were both educationists. Having drawn inspiration from them that I needed to ensure that I equipped myself with education, because that's what would determine what my future was. You know, graduating from university, it was very clear that I needed to still start my career process in Zambia. And for me, at that time, there were two things that I really admired, either law or economics. I preferred to take the route of economics. So coming out of university, I quickly joined the civil service. And at that time, again, it was a real honor for one to actually join the Zambian civil service. I joined the National Planning Commission in Zambia, where I was an economist dealing essentially with the budget process. And that process actually is one that enlightened me to what was pertaining in as far as the majority people were concerned. And that is such a critical component in any country setting its budget. Absolutely. But it also gave me a very clear understanding in relation to the lives of the people that we were sitting at the table planning for, who themselves may not necessarily have been there to express their needs and be sure that their response was, you know, was one that was aligned with their aspirations as well. And it gave me thoughts as to what do I want to do going beyond in terms of how I could support the people. But linked to that was part of my private life development. Three years into working, I got married, started a family against the backdrop of you being expected to be a wife who's very supportive of a husband. My aspirations remained very much ones that were at home and trying to work in the environment that I was in. But as fate would have it, I unfortunately lost my husband five years after getting married and was left with 
two young children, one in grade two, the other in the third grade. And for me, that dramatically changed how I needed to perceive life and how I would approach because automatically I was taking up more responsibility for my children, for my career. But in a very strange way, it also gave me the opportunity to open up my thinking to see how I could reposition myself in this new context, perhaps going beyond my own country. That was the beginning of my moving, consciously moving towards progressing my career in a way that I could go beyond Zambia. That is a very brave move to make, leaving your family background, because we all know how much one relies on support structures to allow you to go on and fulfill your ambitions. And so that was a very courageous move. It was uh, not easy, quite difficult in the beginning, because in the early stages, I was split between working in the on the regional side. I was based in Botswana for a few years, but my children were still back home in, in boarding school. So trying to balance that and being available for the children to spend quality time with them to understand that they may have one parent, but I'm still there to, you know, fully support them in a way that they expected to the extent that I could was, was quite a challenge initially. So from Sadiq, then I moved on to look at uh, bigger prospects. My thinking behind this was more of, I have the national perspective. I do understand what's going on at the country. Let me have a better sense of the context within a regional setting, understanding experiences of other countries. And beyond that, I then elevated it to the multilateral level. So it was a deliberate progression moving from national to regional to multilateral context. And it has been one fulfilling experience that has broadened my scope. Why is this important for me? At the end of what I'm doing, I'm going to go back to my country. And I do hope that I can still contribute, bringing in all this experience that I've acquired to be able to support my country from whichever perspective that would be. I think I have acquired a lot of experience from a private sector you know, development side, some experience in as far as entrepreneurship is concerned, and for me to support my fellow Zambians in this particular aspect or area would be really some way of giving back to those that enabled me to do what I've done today. It's such a wonderful circular attitude where you've gone through this progressive cycle, as you say, looking at things from a national point of view, through to a regional point of view, through to a multilateral level, and then ultimately ending your career going back and being able to contribute to people and further their development by providing a stepping stool of, of your experiences. At the moment, you're with the International Trade Center and its mission is to foster inclusive and sustainable economic development and contribute to achieving the United Nations global goals for sustainable development. The ITC works towards creating trade for good can you briefly tell us about the core goals of the ITC? 
You've rightly pointed out we are a joint agency of the United Nations and the World Trade Organization. As such, we are all about fostering the attainment of the Sustainable Development Goals. We are eight years away from reaching the, the milestone that we had set for ourselves. But of course, within this context, we are also aware that we've had uh, huge challenges coming before us, particularly in relation to the impact that COVID-19 has had on many, many, many countries. That said, I, I strongly believe that we should not in any way be slowing down the efforts, but rather doubling those efforts because the need has become even greater as, as a result of this. So where is ITC in all this? We have been recognized as one of the institutions that would be able to contribute in the sphere of trade. But unless we can practically be able to deliver and make that difference on the ground, our motive will become questionable. And what we are trying to do as the UN family and ITC in particular, is to make sure that we are moving in a very practical way to support the efforts on the ground to realize the objective of the attainment of the sustainable development goals. So in short, our goals are ones that are very much earmarked towards ensuring that trade does act as an engine for growth. And we are driven on this by making sure that trade is not only happening, but that it's also inclusive, it is sustainable, and at the end of the day, that we allow people to prosper. When you speak about inclusivity, uh, practicality, and sustainability, the fact that you want to be real and having a, a force to be reckoned with on the ground. Can you expand on a couple of trade projects that have had an impact on various countries in the continent, but with a particular emphasis on women? Let me start by explaining that in as far as we are concerned, we are more about working with micro, small and medium enterprises to enhance their competitiveness and be able to facilitate their, you know, being able to, to trade and indeed by doing so that uh, we are ultimately working towards that integration that I've spoken about. So we provide the technical assistance in as far as this particular area is concerned. And we do this in three different ways. One, it's the national level. Two, it's at the regional level. Three, in Africa's specific context, it's also at the continental level, which I think provides tremendous opportunities. So we are working at three, these three levels, knowing that you know all these are building steps towards a bigger objective of the continent through the continental free trade area. Second point I wanted to make is that we have been in existence since 1964. That's 50 plus years. And much of the work that we have done is actually on the African continent. 70% of our interventions are in Africa. So what we have been doing over the last 50 years is really working with these countries on the continent. What is it that has changed? I think a lot of our initial work was at national level. So we were helping countries initially to do a lot of needs assessment to better understand their context. But what has happened now is we have moved more onto the implementation side 
of practical projects. And here we have had a very good support from different funders that help us to do our work. Some examples include uh, the work, for instance, we are doing in the Gambia, which is uh, perhaps different from what is being done elsewhere. And here we are connecting vulnerable migrants and displaced, uh, and dis displaced persons. Um, what we are doing there is addressing uh, root causes of migration. And of course, actually through the work we are doing, discouraging those that are also wanting to move outside uh, the continent. We have trained over 6,400 people, connected over 2,600 jobs. This is a project that has been in existence the last three, uh, four years. We also have regional projects, such as the one that we are undertaking or implementing in uh, the East African community. And here we are working with the, the, the member states of the East African community, um, working with them on value addition, working with products that include uh, avocados, coffee, and many other products related to that. In as far as the women are concerned, we have a special initiative that we call the She Trades Initiative, which is about connecting 3 million women to markets. And we achieved actually this uh, milestone last year and we are building on this to try and progress that particular target. Wow. Well done. Often we hear about things where we've got policies in place and we're waiting for the implementation to happen. And here you're saying you've already achieved your milestone of being able to connect 3 million women. Where are they based? Throughout the continent in a particular geographic region? Throughout the continent. We're working with women throughout the continent. I must also say that it's not only about the initiative. The way we have adopted our approach to project development, we do have a gender scorecard there, and each project must show exactly what they will be doing in relation to supporting women. So across the board, this is the case. And that's another factor which you've said is so important, is the way that you're managing the project, the way that you've got targets in place and that there is this gender scorecard. What gets measured gets done. So we have to be definitive about what we put on those scorecards to track them. Absolutely. And I think the additional point that I would like to make there that it's not only us, it's also about the beneficiary countries. In the last four or five years, I've seen an increased interest from the different countries that almost each beneficiary that we speak to wants to do something about gender. I think often what we have established is that they have challenges in terms of understanding how they can concretely do so. And this is where we come in. We will provide the tools to do the necessary assessments because data has been a very challenging aspect for most of the countries. They have not been able to have that disaggregated data that can give them an understanding of their context and what accompanying actions would be, but more so on the interventions. So what's next for She Trades? It is a continuing initiative. We have not stopped because we have reached 3 million. 3 million is only a drop in the ocean as, as we would see it. What we would like is that we continue developing she trades hubs in the, in the different countries because that's the only way you can have 
a sustainable way of addressing this. Good enough that we are doing it from Geneva, but even better when we do it at the country level. We are working with different partnerships, strong partnerships that are able to respond to the different country needs. South Africa is a case in point. We are moving forward with establishing a, a she trades hub there. So far, we have this in 10 plus countries, which we are hoping to, to build on. Um, as an organization, we've already taken the step to engage with the African Union. We are working currently supported uh, by GIZ uh, with 50 um, women business associations. What was very interesting is that, you know, the framework had already been agreed to and perhaps even signed by some of the member states. The question being posed to the women associations, very few had actually been involved in the process. So what we have agreed with the African Union is that we double up our efforts in terms of supporting the, the advocacy and awareness creation around the specific women's initiative. But as an organization, we also did recognize that we had to go beyond the single or regional interventions that we were making. And as such, uh, we have reorganized ourselves to come up with a very comprehensive uh, One Trade Africa program, which is essentially going to be building on the efforts that we have made, but it's one that is also intended to have greater outreach, to have larger programs that are interlinked and are able to provide opportunities for businesses to thrive and take advantage of the opportunities created with the 1.2 billion market. That's where our future lies. We've been talking about very positive issues, but if I reflect, when I looked at some recent unemployment statistics coming out of the South African market, just for example, almost 50% of the eligible working population that is unemployed. And I think that we have got to do a mindset shift of going away from the view of a job is going to be made available to me to creating jobs to creating trade, to being dynamic and entrepreneurial and accessing this market of 1.2 billion people. Excellent point. Excellent. I think we, 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 we really have to, in my view, uh, important that we continue to move on the, on the path that we have been moving on. But I think as a continent, we need to start thinking outside the box. We need to make sure that we are creating those opportunities. And it's not only through, um, you know, making sure that there is a, a factory here, if I'm to give, a, 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 you know, an example, which then provides, you know, the employment, the potential employment, which is good when it happens. I'm not saying it's bad. But at the same time, we should be very much working on addressing issues related to entrepreneur skills, but also addressing the other aspects that will enable uh, the youth in particular be able to access the resources that can enable them to start business. They can be innovative, but that will come to nothing if we are not able to address the financing, for instance, if we are not able to address within the context of the continental free trade area provisions that speak to the needs of the small players and can facilitate business because oftentimes 
I think when you look at the structures of many of our regional frameworks, they're very much focused on enabling the big players. So you're looking at big businesses, you're demanding excessive paperwork for the trade to happen. We just have to get away from that and try to see how we can facilitate. In particular, we also need to address very specific concerns of women. I can't have access to a loan because my husband has not agreed to sign on. Really, it's ridiculous. Should you be asking me for collateral of, uh, you know, of a level of a, a, a house, which I don't own? Are there ways we can come up with blended financing that enables the small players to also be able to be integrated and have that opportunity to be able to do that? Uh, and that's precisely what we do within the context of the sheet trades for women in particular. You're absolutely right. We cannot have this approach of one size fits all because the big fish are still going to be the big fishes and the small fry are not going to get any opportunities or worse, they're just going to be left there for the scraps and not have that um, opportunity to go ahead, cater for their niche where they're the specialist and they're the experts in their field. Today, we're talking to Ms. Dorothy Tembo, who is the Deputy Executive Director of the International Trade Center, which is the joint agency of the World Trade Organization. Ms. Tembo, we've been talking a lot about trade, naturally, particularly on the continent and more so in terms of trade from a, a woman's perspective and being able to participate economically. We've also highlighted some of the challenges that women experience. The reality is that women still have numerous issues to contend with, and these global gender differentials still need to be reduced. Gender equality, particularly in the African continent, touches on sensitive points like culture, religion, tradition. Do you think it will be possible to overcome these points for the sake of women's development? And how can we do this? Um, I think a very, very important question in my view. I I perhaps come from a perspective of saying gender advancement and the cultural aspects. What is it that I see there? For me, I see two complementary aspects and I will say, I will explain why. It is indeed important, and you rightly point out as to what is pertaining in terms of the the, the gender cap. The World Bank has told us that it will take us 135 years to really try and and catch up. And if we translate maybe the unpaid work that women have endured in GDP terms, that, that really comes to a considerable amount as well. But at the end of the day, I think there are two things. Important, we advance Uh, the gender side or the gender development dimension. But at the same time, I look at where we are coming from as a continent and I say to myself, culture, it's an integral part of our society. It defines our communities. Would we really want to get rid rid of that by way of advancing gender? Or would there be ways that we could actually work with the cultural aspect and adapt them to take into account what needs to be addressed 
in within the context of advancing uh, gender. Our societies, I look at the fact that we do have very influential women that are actually positioned in the cultural context in a number of cases who are also very, very much part of the decision-making process. If I take, for instance, the South African scenario, I look at what happened during the, the period of the struggle and who was involved. There were many women that were involved in that process who played a critical role in terms of ensuring that that struggle was won and indeed we are at the point where, where we are. They were still coming out of, in some respects, the cultural setting that, that we had. I think for me, the issue should be, what is it that makes it difficult within the cultural context to enable gender advance? Are there ways that this can be addressed and leveraged in a way that it pushes us in a better direction? So I don't think it's an issue of having one and getting rid of the other, but how can we bring these two together, adapting them to the current uh, context? It's not an easy task, I should, I should acknowledge, but we have to work progressively towards doing that. If it was easy, we wouldn't have this 130 years ahead of us to, to try to attain equality. But I think if I reflect briefly on our conversation today, the conversation has really been about progress and change. We know that culture is dynamic. We know that culture can change. And why can't things blend, uh, complement, and advance in the right way for women so that they have equal opportunities? Part of it is just that there is no knowledge on the part of many, many women in terms of what is happening, what could potentially be their benefits that are greater than what they are currently uh, enjoying. Um, and if that is the case, then we have to try and double up our efforts in terms of sensitizing uh, people around the, the objective of, you know, trying to get them to be in a better position by way of integrating them into the economy. For them to be, do, to, to be able to do that, they will have to do some kind of work either working for themselves or working for someone, they will have to understand that some of the cultural demands will have to be readjusted. I give you an example. In my culture, when a woman gets married, it is assumed the man takes full responsibility. So you as a woman, for those that are really traditional, you should stay at home, cook for me, wash my clothes, look after the kids. And I don't want to hear from you telling me I want to advance myself career-wise. I need to be given time to go to school. And what you do, by the way, doesn't count. At the end of the month, it's me who's bringing in an income. Those are the fundamental issues we have to deal with. And I think we have made some progress in some respects in that some of the, the chiefs, in some of the uh, areas that we live in have understood those issues and are progressively trying to sensitize their communities to, to understand that there has to be some kind of shift. This does not in any way undermine uh, the core cultural aspects of a society. 
that understanding, I think, has to be there. And I think we all have to find ways of sitting at the table. Those cultural aspects are there and they do exist. And we collectively have to work towards addressing them and minimizing all these elements that, you know, make women be so sidelines and really uh, non-existent in, in, in many cases. If we can make steady progress, and here I come back to your earlier point of results, when you are implementing a project, you show the results, you are able to justify the course of action that you're taking. We did have one uh, project in Kenya where we are working with vulnerable groups, and there in particular, many of them were women. We ensured that we were capturing all the results as they were going in terms of the uh, income earnings, what they did with the income. For some, they were actually re reinvesting and starting new businesses. But it was amazing how much ownership came around that project to the point that in the end, we were able to step aside because they were able to form a social enterprise that they could take forward. We gave them the opportunity to value add and be able to connect to niche markets in Europe. So that's just one example of what could potentially happen. But slowly, <laughs> we, we have to make that effort. That is true empowerment. And being able to tell their story and being able to share their story, importantly, is showing what you do, but also showing what women can do when they are given the right types of resources. They have proved beyond reasonable doubt their capability. Give a woman that opportunity, she'll run with it. And they're the best pairs of loans, by the way. We have established that. I hear that so often. That should just make good business sense on being able to Absolutely. give a loan because you know it's going to come back to you. I wanted to ask you if you could share with us a couple of women who've been important change agents within Zambia. This is a collective effort, as I always see it, and coming from different spheres. I think over the years, I've seen a number of great Zambian women that have made contributions to making that change. We are not yet there, but they have been able to not only raise the awareness, but people starting to rally behind that and moving into, into action. We still have a long way to go, but uh, I can name from the political side, we have those that actually were part of the struggle that saw Zambia becoming independent. At the political level, we saw ladies like uh, Let Mama Kankasa and uh, Let Mary Fulano, who were part of the Central Committee under the first Republican government led by uh, late Dr. Kenneth Kaunda. On the educationist side, we have people like Petronella Chisanga and Mrs. Uh, Jennifer Chiwela, who, by the way, was my second grade teacher. <laughs> and she's still at it. She's still at it. We have strong gender activists such as Sarah Longway late Lucy Sichone, we had Emily Skazwe who were leading on the, on the push against the third term presidential bid that was being put forward by late President uh, Frederick Chiluba. I mean, the women were very strong on that. Private sector side, we have Dolly Kabanda, Mizingamelu, Mukwandi 
Chibesakunda, and many, many more. In my own organization, we have many, many Zambians in the UN who are doing it for Zambia and beyond. Um, what's important for me is that beyond this, we are able to tap from those that have perhaps reduced energy and are more in the retired phase. I see that's where perhaps the link becomes a little bit weaker. I think Zambia is progressing in, in the right direction, but there's still a lot more to be done. We're coming towards the end of the show now. And one question that I ask all my guests who've made tremendous achievements is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. So if you can please share with us um, what you consider have been some of those elements that have helped you achieve your ambitions. Perhaps I could say my starting point was my mother, like me. She was widowed when I was seven years old. But what she could do in terms of supporting eight young children was amazing. So for me, that was my starting point. And in a way, the cycle repeated itself when it came to, to myself. But I had somewhere to learn from. But aside from that, generally, she was a very, very driven woman. But what has helped me is also having clarity in terms of my vision. I think oftentimes we have situations where people have never really thought in great detail about what is it that they would like to be, how they would achieve that, and what you would have to do to, to make sure that that happens. So in my case, I think at an early age, I knew that I wanted to work with people. And I wanted to work with people in a way that I was supporting those that were less privileged than myself. And the path I took was anything that would help me as a stepping stone to do that. I was also lucky to have actually not only women mentors, I had men that champion women's um, cause. I had a particular minister when I was at the Ministry of Trade, then Minister Patel, who was very, very focused on promoting women and making sure that he gave equal opportunity to the women as he did to the men folk within the institution. And it was not only me, it was a whole range of women that were within. The only condition he gave was that you were dedicated to your job and you did your very best. So in all that we have, we should remember also that there are men out there who are championing the, the women cause. But going beyond that, perseverance, because it's never, never easy. I will, just by way of quickly sharing, there was an instance where when I was chief trade negotiator, I went to a particular meeting. And what was being proposed was really not going to, in my view, to be helpful and in the view of my government too, because we were of that similar position that we needed to better or to further enhance our negotiating structures in a way that we are able to confront the new demands of a relationship with the European Union, which demanded reciprocity. I made a proposal. I was objected to, not because what I was proposing didn't make sense. 
it was more of where is this woman coming from who's coming to want to control us? We've been running this process. And you, you couldn't, I just couldn't understand that people could actually have the courage to come up to me and tell me, oh, you're very powerful. You just want, and I'm like, you know, trying to explain, here's the logic, here's what it would do for us. Eventually, we had to find an alternative way of getting exactly the same proposal approved, but because it came perhaps from a fellow man, it was, <laughs> this is the reality of what you're, you're dealing. I could have at that point been very discouraged, but for me, I saw in it an opportunity for me to be able to, to show this is not about my gender. This is about what we as Africa want as a continent and how we can collectively work together to achieve that. We have to persevere and ensure that it, it happens. I look at the situation now from when I was there in 2011, 12, somewhere there, completely changed. You have a lot of delegations led by women and they speak their mind. They are able to get their point over, but it took a lot of <laughs> dedicated time to making sure that people and alliances actually, it, that worked very well for me because I had other women in, in delegations who were not necessarily leading the delegations, but talking to them, establishing that bond, making them understand where we're coming from, and even speaking to some of the men, men folk in the other delegations. But it's you understanding what partnerships or alliances you can forge that will get you to, to your objective as well. It's the networks and the connections that make things happen. It's, it's progress. We are unfortunately running out of time. So if I can please ask you as we close out today's conversation to use this platform to share a few words of motivation or inspiration with women and girls who are listening to us on the continent. I grew up in a context where the opportunities were limited. Where we are today, the opportunities are much, much more. Of course, there are issues that need to be addressed and we will continue our fight in making sure that we get to a point where these are addressed. But as a young woman, I think what is key is that you know what you want and believe in yourself. Believing in yourself is an integral part of the success that you will attain. There's no limit to one's potential when driven by one's passion about what one wants. And the young girls are the determinants of their success in their lives. This is all I can say. We are here to support them. Many, many other people that can also support. There's also a lot of literature these days that can support you know, that aspiration many mentors out there that can actually work with the girls. Let's go for it. What a wonderful message. There are no limits. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to host you. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Ms. Dorothy Temble, who is the Deputy Executive Director of the International Trade Center, which is the joint agency of the World Trade Organization and the United Nations.